Welcome to the very first episode of In Her Lens. I'm your host, Nadine Rumer, and in this series, I chat with today's women filmmakers. This week, I am so excited to be joined by Shinwei Okori. Shinwei is a writer, director, and editor in Austin, Texas. Her most recent short film, Love Bites, was slated to premiere at South by Southwest this year, but due to the COVID-19 crisis, she was left in a limbo. Shinwei and I spoke early May through Zoom, so bear with us in the audio department, when the future of Love Bites and how the world may meet it were still in question. However, in the meantime, Love Bites has been picked up by Issa Rae and her team at Issa Rae Presents to screen as a part of the Hashtag Short Film Sunday series. I am thrilled for Shinwei and for the rest of us because we can now watch Love Bites on YouTube. In this episode, we talk frankly about writing, producing, and directing your own short film, climbing the barriers around film festivals, the importance and reality of representation, and striking out on this path that we call filmmaking. I am very grateful that she agreed to do this interview. So, without further ado, here is Shinwei on In Her Lens. So let's start in true filmmaker fashion. What is a recent film that you've seen that really made an impact on you? Ooh, okay, recent scene. I haven't seen a lot. I get turned off by melodramatic stuff. I found a show called um, Mrs. America, and it's so good. It's on, um, it's, it's FX. It's it kind of reminded me how much I knew about this subject, but I also didn't understand the levity. So I, like, I needed the, the drama of it to play out for me to understand like the like the impact of what just happened, why like having the ERA not get past what that means and what could have been. I wanna talk a bit about you and who you are and where you grew up and just tell okay. us a bit about yourself. So where do I begin? Um, I, <laughs> well, okay, so I'm Nigerian born and I moved here in 1997 with my dad and my brother. My mom was already here in the country. She immigrated um, in 1995 and settled, settled in in Baltimore and brought us in three years later. And uh, we lived in Baltimore until my parents divorced. And then my dad moved to York, Pennsylvania. So uh, I, I moved in with my dad in uh, York and then I didn't like York. So my mom happened to be moving to Dallas. So I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> A big city, Dallas, Texas. Let me. I followed her there. Um, then I left because I realized I can't live with her. <laughs> it was, <laughs> I was like, oh no, um, I'm gonna go back to my dad and like I basically try to adjust to um, York, Pennsylvania. Uh, how old were you then? When I moved back to York, Pennsylvania, I was uh, 16. The following year, my father. Uh, well, I, I I I found out he probably had ALS longer than he admitted but mm -hmm. um he had ALS and then passed away the year later and so I uh but I stayed um in York Pennsylvania until I graduated high school and then um went to college ended up back in Texas um when I moved to my third college <laughs> I just I just kept moving that's just that's what I do how did you end up in film was it always something that you loved or where did it come from do you think I I wanted to be an actor for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't too long that I was in this country and my dad brought home like this VHS of Titanic. 
I don't even think he really understood. <laughs> I don't even really know, like, he understood what the movie was, but he was like, hey, I got, I saw this, um, you want to watch it? And we watched it. And it was a long movie, too. Like, I, it was like, two, it is a long yeah. Movie, yeah. <laughs> so it took us, like, I think four hours of our time. And I remember just, like, just totally immersed in it. And I said, all right, that's what I want to do. I was so encapsulated by um, Leonardo DiCaprio. And <laughs> um, I mean, I think like a lot of people assume that I was like, oh, you thought he was hot. And no, I like, I really like, there was like a weird like relationship that I was having with him where I was like, I just want to be you. Like, I want to be an actor. I want to do what you're doing. Uh, how do I do that? And I told my dad, that's what I want to do. And luckily, traditional um, immigrant parents are usually like, no, um, we, we, came in, we came in this country for, we sacrificed a lot. So you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, or um, engineer. And my dad uh, was like, no, I am I, I fully supported. Turned out, I found out after he passed away that he wanted to be an um, actor, but my mom talked me out of it. Oh, wow, really? It was always in the blood. And I wanted to be an actor, um, but there were just certain things that like held me back from really pushing it. But I've always had that drive in film because of my love for acting for leo <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, leo. I distinctly remember watching titanic as well right like my dad when he uh, like when he like bought it i don't think he understood like oh there's gonna be nudity there's gonna be a sex scene uh, there's gonna be like blood i don't think he understood any of that and he, and i remember when we watched it i was like oh there's a boob okay uh <laughs> i knew it was, i was like oh he's gonna turn it off but he didn't it was like i was like okay cool did you ever study film um like at school or at uni or was it really like a self-taught thing it was self-taught i don't think i had any idea what i was doing when i first picked up a camera so i think because it's also this love for acting like i can always see the movie played out in my head so well that i trusted what what the vision i had in my head and whatever that moment was, I was like, okay, well, that's what we're doing. And I'm very like steadfast. I'm like, no, we're going to get a shot here. We're going to have the actor pr perform this way. Cause I just saw it in my head. And so um, maybe that is something. Yeah, definitely. That... As an actor, I love working with directors who either were an actor or have a passion for acting because it's such a valuable tool in the room. And I think it's so palpable when you watch a movie and it's actor centric, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Do you think that's something that you carry forth? Yeah. Yes. I think so. I will, I will hope so. Do you remember the first time we met? Yeah, South by Southwest. That was the first time I've ever been to South by. You're a big festival goer, especially living in Austin. It's like one of your biggest loves. Yeah. This year, South by was unfortunately canceled along with the screening of Love Bites. Yeah. It would have been a nice full circle. So I was doing a little bit of reading up on the film. Do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a um, rundown on what Love Bites is about? It's a yeah. short and it's 13 minutes, correct? Absolutely. So Love Bites is a story about a young woman in her, um, in her relationship. And she's trying to figure out whether if this relationship, she needs to pull the brakes on it. Or, or she needs to fight for it. And it's shown in the 24 hours of a relationship how certain things can take a toll on your, you. The insecurity you have in a relationship and the conversation, the internal dialogues you have with yourself um, that keeps you in a relationship, mm -hmm. in a sense. Yeah. yeah. And is this something that came from you or is it something that kind of came from the collective to you? Yeah, so both. Um, initially, it was a story about a, a young girl who is in a relationship, but she has a feeling it's going to end. And I was in, a, in a something like that where um, everything was going well, and then it just abruptly mm -hmm. ended. 
and it, I was blindsided. I was ghosted. I couldn't figure out what happened. So there's an element of split screen in this movie, and the split screen came a little towards um, the middle part of me discovering the story. And then as the story, as I'm still writing the story, a friend of mine at the time was in a very toxic relationship, and she's still in this relationship. And she needed a third person's perspective of yeah. who, what I see her relationship is. And like, she was one of those friends who just like, you listen to her, they should complain about what this person's doing to her. Um, the person's like cheating on her, abusive, all that stuff. And, um, and you think like she's going to get out and she does <laughs> give it three days later. She, she's back in the same, like where she was. And it was really frustrating watching that uh, repeat itself mm -hmm. so the cycle of it so I wrote something a little bit more tamer than that like I think when we think of toxic relationship we think of like the most like the abuse the physical abuse but we don't think about um uh, insidious types of toxicity like I, I think that's so interesting it's like the layers you know that you have the outer layer of that the things that we see and the things that yeah. were like that, you know, we kind of easily are like, that's right and wrong within relationships, but it goes much deeper than that. And I think it's really fascinating to examine the fundamental core values that, that we ca each carry into a relationship. And when those don't align, yeah. how soon into the process did you have a producer on board or a co-writer? So I started writing in 2014 um, by myself. Uh, then showed a couple people. It just it wasn't hidden it for a lot of people. Like something I I learned throughout the um, through the years of writing is that sometimes I as, as a writer director you have it all in your head. And you're like oh I know how I'm going to capture that moment or I know how that dialogue is going to speak mm -hmm. itself. But I wasn't very clear, especially in the story structure and arc of how it goes from here to there. So I I workshopped it for a couple more years and it wasn't until twenty. I think between 2017 and 2018, I really started looking for a producer. And that was such a challenge because I think a lot of people wanted the movie to be something that it wasn't. And sometimes the notes I was getting didn't resonate to the style uh, of filmmaking that I was going for. And I think a lot of people wanted a huge drama, mm -hmm. like something big and loud and conversational. And this is, I mean, this is quiet and I, I aim for that. It wasn't until I found, you know, my producer Nava, who who just understood the story right away, and she was on board. And I met her summer of 2018. How long did it take for you to finish the script? Uh, we were still working on it, um, the script until I, I want to say like till the last day of shooting. And when I say that, I mean like the script was finalized. The final the final scene was something that mo both of us, it, it's not like we were disagreeing about, but we were trying to figure out where the balance was. The criticism I was always getting early on from my friends, they were all feminists. One of my friends who was very feminist, and she said she worried that the movie made this girl, didn't give her much of a voice because uh, the original ending I had um, for the movie kind of gave it like a woe is me, met, um, like she's a victim of, the patriarch there was something i was trying to tell because it's true like this this woman is a she's real because like i have this is my friend you know um and i kept holding on to the ending nava and i spoke the day before and then it clicked to me like something we like a balance that we can get we can um mm -hmm. compromise on and the ending and actually honestly the ending worked because it's much more open-ended and was there anybody else involved apart from you and nava there was Another producer, co-producer named um, Mia Garza. Where did you meet them? 
So Naba and I met uh, when I, I, I basically, it was really hard for me to find a producer. Um, and then, so I posted on a Texas forum. Um, they don't allow you to do that anymore, but there was like the Texas Film Commission allowed me at that, at that time to post, I need like looking for a producer. And so Nava happened to be on that, um, that site and then emailed me like that day. And then the next day she, she lived in San Antonio. So she drove from San Antonio to Austin the next morning, like, Hey, let's, let's wow. get started. And I was like, so impressed by that. So I was like, all right. L like from then on, she was like my go-to like collaborator. And your other producer? Mia and I worked together on a short film called Uncomfortable Woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, we shot that later that year, uh, in 20, um, 2018, in November, November 2018. I always wonder, like, how do you know that you found the right producer for you and for the project? Is it something, are there questions that you ask? Like, what are the hurdles that you had to work through to really figure that out? Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I went through a lot um, because I think passion was the key selling um, for me. Nava the fact that she showed up the next day, like came from San Antonio was um, really impressive. And she was very organized. And I can tell like she was invested in the story, but also not only invested, but she, she, can, um, she was somebody who took action. Like I had a lot of people who loved what I was doing, but when it came to like following through with things that they committed to or said that they wouldn't do, mm -hmm. it didn't meet the excitement <laughs> that they had for the movie. So that, um, that was something that I knew that me and Manava worked well because I, I'm somebody who, um, I, I don't like micromanaging. I hate it to the T because I, like, I, I feel like if I bring you on board, I trust that like, you're going to do exactly what you, like, you had said you were going to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I like to work with people who, um, who can work independently. That, those relationships, I think, are so vital to the success of a, of a project. And especially in film, like, it's such a collaborative nature. You need to be able to get along with the people. Yeah. What was the next step in, uh, after you kind of got the ball rolling with your producers? Did you get a cinematographer on board, casting? One thing I always had was a, a cinematographer. Um, oh, actually, ooh, it's, um, things did go a little left. Uh, so we shot the concept trailer. Mm -hmm. The concept trailer was my friend Blake, who uh, Nelson, who ended up being like the, the principal photographer for Love Bites. And, um, but initially it was another um, DP and it just didn't work out. Um, I, I, I can't really speak too much on it because I don't really know what um, happened. But it's, it worked out because me and Blake have, the same language, like film language. Like you say, we have the same palette. Yeah. Speaking back to what I was saying about um, I trusting other people to do what they are good at. I love our collaboration where I don't really have to even sit down. To, um, he doesn't even get like confirmation from me. Like he will set up a shot and it'll probably be DV from what I, like our shot list that we described. I'll, I'll see and I was like, dude, that was exactly, that was exactly what I, I, I would have wanted. And like, he just, like, he, he just knows like where, like he just knows, knows my brain. Working with friends, I feel like there's two sides to it. What's your experience with working to fr with friends? Uh, um, it hasn't been the best experience working with friends, um, but when it works out, it works out really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you talked a bit about your aesthetic with this film. Was that very pre-planned? Yeah. And it's beautifully shot. Where did you pick the inspirations for that and how, how pre-planned are you as a director? Uh, so I had a, like, a mood board early on. For, uh, well, one, we started off with a concert trailer. And so I had a mood board for that. 
aesthetically what it will look like, but we weren't so, we still weren't sure. Like I wanted something a little like how like smart, like you look at it and you're just like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's like a painting. Uh, and then I know that he wanted something a little more like, I don't know what he was, like Italian, Italian cinema. And now it was that feels like, okay, so Italian cinema was meant for white people, white skin, <laughs> and we have black skin, so we can't do that. And so Nava was really great for like um, understanding like we want like the richness of like your skin to really pop. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really know until we were on set like exactly what we were going for, but I knew that the um, colors played a big role in the movie, and um, blue and red was very um, significant in this in the way we told the story. So shooting a short what is it like so you shot the trailer what happened after that so we really had a high expectation like so because we shot the concert the trailer i got so excited because everything just felt like magic and we, we were shooting like really dope shots i edited within like 24 hours magical things were happening at the same time just came out this cool product we were ready to launch it for our uh, crowdfunder everyone's just like yo like this is this is it this is going to be a selling point we're going to do we're going to People are just gonna like throw money at us. <laughs> so we launched it and uh, silent. it was cricket. Like, what did you launch it on? On Kickstarter? Oh, uh, uh, it was, it was uh, Indiegogo because we were a little, oh, a little Indiegogo. Bit, we were a little scared because we were like, it was all or nothing. Kickstarter is all or nothing. Yeah. And I was a little scared. I was just like, oh, what if we just don't make the, our goal, which is $15,000? because mm -hmm. like that was a lot of money to me and it's still a lot of money to me and I had a producer like no we, we can definitely make that like look, look at like looking at a concentrator look at the ideas you have like people see like you are talented yeah. um people are gonna trust you then when we launched it, it was just like people responded to the visual they're like they were so they loved it and I kind of a couple of people were a little confused because they thought that that was a trailer for the actual movie like the movie has already been shot so I just was showing the um, trailer going back I could have been much more clear like concert trailer means it's a concept pre before her filming production happened did you pay for the concept trailer in the process before out of pocket I did a lear well, it was a le learning experience and I we just didn't meet our funding goal because it was just crickets and I did, it didn't help that on top of that that was the the same week that um well I don't know if it was probably been happening prior um, likely it was happening before, but the media had just uh, publicized the camps of kids in camps and at the border. Was, at the border, and that's where everyone. Um, that's that was leading the conversation, and I didn't feel right prom, uh, promoting my, um, you know, my film, asking for money for make to make my film during that week. So we lost a week promotion, um, but from then on, it just kept going downhill because people just weren't that interested in helping me making this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 hard, right? I think it it's sad that it has to be that way, but it's hard to reach people in uh and there's a lot of things that are happening on the internet the whole time. Yeah. So what 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 did you do? What was your strategy? To be very honest, once that week underperformed for us, I that changed morale for everybody involved and I was like, "Oh, it kind of looked like uh the movies are going to get made." And mm -hmm. there was no way for me, and I, ha and I, it's hard because like, I, I think I had to learn a certain skill of a leader and which is keeping morale up, but I wasn't really good at that because I was also just going through like, and you're learning, I mean, oh, like, we're, every, I'm every learning, it's a new experience, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I just, I'm, I, I, I also know I'm not that type of leader too. Like I'm not the type of leader who 
get speeches. Um, I, <laughs> I, that's kind of what Nava was there for. She was like the person who was much more like um, emotionally in tuned. And I, I am totally emotionally in tuned, but it's just like, I don't know how to like be that nurturing person while I'm like very zero in and focused on getting things done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, morale were lost. People um, immediately thought that movie was not going to get made. And so um, light then, at the end of the tunnel, you guys. The movie did get made. <laughs> <laughs> so then the lead actor dropped out. Um, I think from then on, like that's where the DP also dropped out. Um, so the movie was put on hold until I got a job um, editing a feature film. Mm-hmm. And they were paying me exactly the amount of money that I needed to get the movie made. Wow. It was the weirdest thing. Like it was by the end of the year of 2018. They hired me, and when I when I saw how much money I was gonna get paid, I was like, "This is weird. How much is exactly wow. <laughs> how much money I needed to get Love Bites made?" And Love Bites got made because of that. Wow! I mean, the universe and your skills. So let's talk <laughs> about your editing skills. So where did that where did that come from? It's an instinct because I can't really explain it. I can't really teach it. Um, I I look at I like I you know I look through a whole footage. I play by like what feels right. And I can't really explain it other than it's instinct. And I was, I, fe- I figured I was really good at it uh, early on um, because as, as a director, you're, you can't really hire other people to do other things for you. So you have to learn it uh, as well. So when I learned that I can edit and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, I thoroughly enjoy sitting and going through footage and I can spend a whole day looking through footage and piecing things together I, and I found joy in that. I mean, it's a silent hero, right? I feel like we always, every time the Oscars or um, some big awards show rolls by, everyone's like, put editing on the screen. Like those are the people that make the movie. It's also like as a director, being an editor at the same time, I, you know, you have a lot of um, authority in how you see it. So I, did you also edit um, Love Bites? I did. Yeah, I edited Love Bites. I was gonna like, um, outsource that at first because I was like oh I need it like I need a multiple perspective in this movie as soon as um I was I was ready to I was ready to direct I was already directing with an edit in mind so I knew where how everything was going to piece together yeah how many how many shooting days did you have three I wish we had four but we had three and then we did uh, a reshoot like a couple months later okay okay and for the reshoot was it just a scene or was it a little bit more a little bit, a little, a little bit more. Like the middle piece of the movie, we just needed to add a couple more um, footage. So this is where the um, a thing I, I I also learned. Though I directed with an edit in mind, um, I should have left my room, uh, left myself room for adding coverage, and we needed just a little bit more coverage, <laughs> just yeah. to like add. When I was editing, I was like, oh, this just feels it feels very hollow, like very void of emotion. So we needed. Just a little bit more. First time filmmakers, I like it's something I've struggled with, and I'm sure like you can relate. Is like, where do you get equipment? Like, <laughs> where did you even begin to fund your equipment? Right. Um, it helps me have a DP who already had who has required their whole equipment, so it, mm-hmm. I saved a lot on rental expenses. So I'm only like I like when I when we're doing the budget, um, we basically rent it out from him. Like we like his camera package. He just gave. Well, he's my friend too, so it helped. Like, he gave me the friend discount. Um, mm-hmm. It also helped that he was uh, his roommate is a gaffer who owns a truck. So then he also gave me a friend discount. So I got really lucky with Love Bites because um, it was it was cost effective because everybody who was who helped me get the made was a friend that I acquired through the years or through 
through decades yeah. of yeah. being yeah. meeting them at like film festivals as we were talking about a little bit before stuff like that. no actually a lot of them was uh all started from the the first two film gigs I had when I moved to Austin in 2013 and we just and I maintained friendship there which was like shocking because I was not really good at maintaining friendships for a long time because things, I, like friends seem to like like come in seasons but surprisingly when it comes to film like I'm able to maintain a really strong like relationship with people Moving on a little bit, I want to talk about festivals because I think we were talking about a little bit before our conversation today about submitting to festivals and how that's been for you with Love Bites. Yeah. Where did that start for you? Where did you first submit? Where did you get the funding to start submitting? Because maybe people know, maybe people don't know. It's a lot of money to submit to festivals. Yes, it's a lot, a lot of money. Um, I was like, when people, like, I, like I hired some, a couple people to like, um, do budget for uh, for me and I always thought I think it's funny when people skim the festival fee like they're like oh it's five hundred dollars like no <laughs> the truth is you might rack up a lot of money on it and but I told my gave myself a threshold of, of one thousand and I broke that within like a month of submitting I was like oh I'm already hitting my one thousand dollar so then uh, I was like fifteen hundred dollars and I almost broke it thank, thank goodness for COVID um I helped me something you won't hear every day guys <laughs> I was like I this is not worth like the anxiety and the money for this so I cut myself to fifteen hundred dollars like that's the maximum I will spend and that's the maximum I did spend mm-hmm. um where I got the money so city of Austin have a community initiative grant I got money from them and that went towards mm-hmm. submitting to festival after I like paid for the uh, paid for post-production Talk a bit about the festival submission process for you. Um, it's, it's honestly an art, art because there's so many festivals. And um, I think before I got into this, I always wonder why, what was the reason to submit? Basically, I was, my idea was to like, go big or go home. Like I, I wanted to submit to all the big festivals and also the medium-sized festivals um, because I, I attributed that to being recognized by the industry if you got into one of these festivals you got you're basically part of the industry slowly getting part of the industry and there's a there's an element of like you're good yeah so the confirmation that you're good you're you're of you're worthy to be heard and um so that's what i i aimed for and then it didn't work out that way because i got nothing but rejections a cheat sheet that i didn't know is that if you were to submit to a festival, avoid submitting extended deadlines because you're not even in consideration. Unless you're like a big tier filmmaker, you're just wasting your money. And so that's something I had to learn because by the time I was ready to submit, I was submitting to um, Slamdance, Sundance, um, every festival that was gonna be um, happening in like January or winter time, early winter, I was submitting in September. So that was when their late deadlines were what is something that you as a young filmmaker in terms of guidance or resources are missing right now in the process of trying to get into festivals? Um, okay. So, I mean, money is one thing, but um, something that I, I learned and I can't remember the, um, there was this organization I learned about that filmmakers basically are paying into this organization to help them get their movie basically guaranteed into festivals 
And I didn't realize that, I mean, I, I kind of did, I knew there was like insidious way that you have, there's a pay to play mm-hmm. game with festivals, but I didn't realize it was like so in your face. Us smaller filmmakers are, really don't have a shot really at these like rec- what world renowned film festivals because there's people who are paying their way into it. Um, and so if anything, I just kind of wish there was a equal le- level playing field um, in how we are judged and how yeah. we get in. Yeah. And do you think, is there, is there a resource that you have in mind that could, I mean, another organization or anything that you're like, I wish I, that someone would create this. I, well, I mean, I'm so, I'm so early in my um, film career that I don't really know what the benefit of a festival would be for me right now. But I, I think I'm seeing it as somebody who just like have just been bombarded by rejections and I, I haven't like really let it. I haven't like gone through the part where it just, it already happened. Let me, let me really think about where uh, my next step was, which is my next step would be just to put, publish online. But it's just like the fact that like, you know, people have heard about Love Bites since 2018 and we're in 2020 and not much, not many people have seen it. So is this the thing like you're dragging it out for two years and uh, I'm just ready to let it, let people see it. But I'm kind of held hostage because um, I'm submitting these festivals and um, I have to wait to their window to let me know if I got in. If I did get in, then I have to wait until the festival happens. And then I can um, like distribute it how I want it. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Before our conversation, you talked about creating a Black love story in 2020 and how that affects how festivals and screenings and such view your work. So, I mean, I don't have any like data to prove this or anything like that, but I do feel like Love Bites is, being judged in a certain lens against maybe if other filmmakers of color, especially black filmmakers are submitting, they're maybe perhaps they're, they're also submitting things that are um, not slice of life type of stories. And maybe their stories are more political charge. And I, I know at this stage, I feel like there's always been pressure for me to write stories about quote unquote, the black experience. And I don't really like that term because there's a wide range of what that experience is. And I don't think there should be a definition of it. What is it like being a female filmmaker? And what is it like being a black female filmmaker and also not being necessarily from the United States? And depending on how you identify, you've lived there obviously a very long time, but yeah. how, um, how has that experience been for you? Early on in my career, I thought we all were on the same playing field. <laughs> and it just, and it, I think it changed a lot when I realized the difference of what gets funded and what doesn't. Like, speaking back to crowdfunding um i i don't know and okay so crowdfunding is reliant on your circle of people and your friends and your community and so it's also reflected like what your social economic is and i didn't have this in mind until it happened that like my social economic people in my social economic uh bracket are artists or immigrants and um people of color and most of them want like they're not gonna have the dispensable income to like just go and help me finance this movie. I don't have. I mean, I do have wealthy uncles, but they're also come from the idea of that I should be a doctor, mm-hmm. you know. So they're not gonna value like helping me um, get this movie made. And so I think all those like all the things that define me also hurt me because I needed a community to help me get this movie made and I found that you know I had friends who launched a um, crowdfund a kickstarter 
the same month, the same week, and they got it fully financed. And and it and I remember thinking, I was well, one of them I asked, like, how? And then they're like, one person told me, well, you know, my uncle donated. I was like, God damn, how much would your uncle have donated? And then we obviously didn't tell me the amount, but I'd be like, for the fact that there was a rich uncle, they can just like call up and that person like will help them. That was something that like it was just kind of like pull the what's it called the blindfold the, yeah they just it kind of like well we're not all on equal playing field because a lot of people can just have that access of resource and that really comes down to like the money uh and the resource and also who's excited to help you what um get your movie made i don't know i just don't know whether if it's me because i didn't go to film school and didn't uh, i was in the trenches with all with all these people um because i only knew them from being on sets I was hired outside of um, their system, um, but I did find it, I find like my experience just getting something made harder than a lot of like people I knew. This is like a, a, a question that I, I have struggled with is people acting like the career I've chosen is a hobby. Mm, yeah. Do you relate to this? Yeah. I think it, I think it slowly changed a little bit because um, like you said, like, well, like you have, you have said, um, they've seen the visual and they've seen me talk about this for two years by now. Um, they know that like, this is not a hobby. Um, and also things have definitely changed. Um, in the past two years, there's friends of mine who have went on to do really great things. And for instance, um, Nava, Nava is now, she's a, she's cast in this HBO show. Wow. That hopefully it will come out this year. Um, COVID had stopped production for her, but she's the lead actor for um, HBO show. And just like that, like people knowing, seeing that like people around me have achieved some great things. They've now like taken me seriously and made me feel, um, have kind of given me a little bit more respect that I'm leading, I'm heading towards a, a more um, fulfilled path. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another, what we were talking about, you know, for a long time is people and how important it is for people to look at other people and be like, I recognize, yeah. I see, and I support, you know, that, that, that even just the wording, <laughs> I mean, obviously money speaks very loud in this industry, but that, that is so important. The sharing and the, and the, and the supporting is, is half the battle. Seriously. I mean, like, I, if I can just say, like, it's free to just share it. Just share. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you never know who's in your circle. You never know. I, I, yeah, I can speak to that because um, on Twitter, somebody shared a, a post I, I, I had. His name is Matthew Cherry. You know, like, the, the uh, he actually just won an Oscar. He had shared, he, like, won an Oscar for uh, Hair Love this year. He had, we shared a tweet I, I had, and I had mentioned about Love Bites and my website in it. A couple days later, a production company in LA that specifically focused on female filmmakers, and they heard about me through that reshare. And wow. then, like, I, I got a meeting through that because it's like, it's just something so simple. It's just like, and it's free. You don't have to, like, it doesn't cost you anything. Right? It's the two sides of the internet. Like, there's so much on there, it's hard to get our stuff seen. But then, yeah, one reshare, like, opens up a door to a thousand possibilities. That's really exciting to hear. You know, there's a really high obstacles and I'm not denying any of that, but we are in a time right now that, mm -hmm. you know, people are much more open and willing to listen to women storytellers. You know, some people, not all people. Yeah. 
it's not like they can tell the difference. I just like, we all have feelings and every feeling is valid and every feeling should be seen because what you experience, I, I mean, I used to live in Houston, you listen, used to live in Austin. We both went to South by something could have happened to either of us that we both saw that yeah. totally affects us differently. And like, we both could put it in a movie and our movies would be different and that's the magic, but it's also the, the, the hardship of it. Oh yes. Yes. Uh, maybe you basically answered it, but I was thinking like, Audience people, audience members, I don't know what was the gatekeepers worry about having female directors because audience members are not like looking up like who directed this. Um, like, oh, this is totally a woman. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna watch this. Like they're not thinking that at all. So I don't understand like their reservation of just like putting us in the, the room. I have a huge recommendation. The movie is called The Rider and it's by Chloe Zhao. I don't know if you've seen it. Not yet. I've heard great things. It's incredible. And I had no idea that was directed by a woman. I went to go see it at New York Film Festival. And I was like, I've never, it was, it's an examination of a cowboy who can't be a cowboy anymore due to a ba- brain injury. And it was just such a beautiful, intimate look. And it's, it's written by this woman. And it's just who, who doesn't at all come from an area that is a cowboy-esque and doesn't, hasn't grown up in that. And it was such a beautiful example to me that you know, we all have stories to tell. And it's, it's how we are in the room. It's how we talk to people. And it's, it's all of that. And I saw uh, the new Harlequin movie, um, Birds of Prey, Love which it. is so fun. Like so much fun. It's so fun. I had such a good time. I saw it twice. IndieWire puts out a, uh, a thing like Birds of Prey plummets at box office. Like they set them up for, pre- oh, I guess. No one's going to go see it because uh, you're like, oh, it's not really good. Because like, if I had seen that, I probably would have not gone an opening weekend, which is an integral time to go to see a movie that you want to see. Yeah. And I think that changing the language we use, even just among ourselves, you know, butterfly effect, how we talk affects how we talk to the rest of our family later and so on. It's so important. Mm-hmm. I totally agree because I actually wasn't going to see Birds of Play the opening weekend um, because I just... I I'm just not into superhero movies. When I was younger, I was um, like Spider Man was my shit. Like I <laughs> and like obviously like um, Christopher Nolan's and Batman was just uh, it was to the like it's like it reached it reached me because it like it, it matched my like dark sense of um, sensibility. So it was like I just loved it. Um, and so I wasn't gonna go see it. And then I saw a tweet and and I can't remember what the, um, who it was, but this person was like, yo. Or is a play is a shit. And I was like, and it was from somebody who I like, ha- I respect their like, you know, opinion on something. I was like, oh my god, okay, let me go see. And I already, and I fell back because like, I should have saw, saw it earlier. I shouldn't give it a de- benefit of doubt because like I saw who directed it, and I've seen her. Um, I haven't seen her work, but I've seen some of her like the stills of her work. I'm like, oh, this is some some really <laughs> good uh, art house style, like um, a, like basically a filmmaker with integrity. I saw it and I, I was so happy. I tried to get people to watch it, um, but I think they were at that time. By the time I watched it, I think it was on Sunday. Unfortunately, I think people already made their mind that they weren't going to see it. And my roommate still hasn't seen it, and she like watched. If you like go through her room, because all these like comic books on her walls, like all Marvel, DC, she's all about it. But she didn't go see this movie, and I think that she, she fascinating. She got she got the opinion that it wasn't it wasn't a good movie. And I was like, you would have loved it, but I think you're not gonna experience the way I experienced it in the theater. I, I, tr- I try to get people to see in things in the theater because I don't think you're gonna experience it the way I was meant to be. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I mean, I, I kind of theater is alive. A movie theater, it's, whole, it's my holy place. Like it truly, uh, it's like a meditation for me. Like I love going to the movies. It truly is like, it's an experience. You experience it as a whole and, yeah. um, and with other people, it's yeah, very so important. Communal. It's perfect. Okay. So I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, actually it's a two-part question. <laughs> what is a movie that the world needs to see apart from Love Bites, okay. of course? And what's next for you? A movie the world needs to see. I hate this question because I, it's so hard. I know it's so hard because a lot of people always ask me, what's your favorite movie? And I just like, I it doesn't have to be your favorite movie, a, a movie that you think right now the world, like, it will be a little bit of a better place or a little bit of a wake up call or whatever it is that the world needs from this movie. All right. Okay. Well, okay. I'll do, I'll say Dr. Strange, which love people will need to see right now because uh, it is just a perfect representation of what the world is currently like people arguing, but um, basically one side saying like, it doesn't matter how many people die. We just, we got to do it for our country. And like there's a bit disregard for um, human life, and but it's told through a comedic lens, and so it kind of discards people who like are probably thinking, oh, this is a political, and it is a political movie. You should definitely come out of it like with a definitely a, a point of view, um, especially what Kubrick's point of view is. But it's uh, it, it discards you, just, sorry, disarms you, um, and you're laughing, and that you don't realize how you're. You and times I quoted the movie. And people who have, you know, are in the, are, are like that lean certain political angle probably like goes through, their, go over their head. And I was like, okay, I'm totally making fun of, of you, of basically your ideology <laughs> right now. <laughs> okay, that's a really good rec. And what's next? Um, I'm currently working on this movie called Elephant. It's a dark comedy about, set in, in middle school. Are you writing it? I am. I, I was already, I've already written the short film. I'm currently writing the feature film. Because I'm trying to um, shoot the short film to help get the feature made. It's, it's proven to be challenged because I have never written a feature and it's such a long process. And I just want to like, oh, have, like just fast forward to like next year when I have it done and then rewrite it and rewrite it until it gets good. It's the way it goes. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm so happy to see you again. I am it's been too. one year. I am too. It's pretty, pretty full circle. Oh my God. Yes, it has. Uh, well, next year. Who knows what movie you'll be there with or me or whatever the next steps are. But um, I'm so grateful that I got to talk to you about, about you and everything that you're doing and see and hear and experience. Well, thank, you. thank you for having me. I know you mentioned this last year. I was like, I was looking forward to like having a conversation anytime about film. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed what you heard, please hit that subscribe button, leave a review, or share the link with your community. I am brilliantly excited to let you know that Shinwei will be rejoining us for a bonus episode about the pickup of Love Bites in September by Issa Rae Presents. I know we're both very much looking forward to sharing that conversation with you. Next week's episode will be up at the same time, 9am GNT, and I cannot wait to share who the guest is. You can follow us on Instagram for all the updates on this season at In Her Lens Podcast. And I'll see you next week. Cheers. Bye. <laughs>